Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Believe Nick Show, episode 43. I am Matthew Miranda, still apart from Stacey Patton, but joined today by as many guests as the Knicks have championships. From the Strickland, we have the ever bright Dallas Amico and Proving that we are a nonpartisan pod, we also welcome Alex Sturm, who covers the Brooklyn Nets for our SB Nation sister site, Nets Daily. Dallas, Alec, how are you doing today? They're both so polite that neither one of them will talk. Dallas, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Happy to be yeah. here. Always excited to chat about basketball. Just so everyone knows Dallas is in San Diego and literally the light shining into his room is like the face of God. Like it's just a completely <laughs> different reality that he's in. So I'm very happy to see that it does exist out there. Um, Alec looks much more like he's in an East Coast setting. It's a little dark. It's a little like private, but like it's enough for him. But maybe you stay out. Um, so. No, that, that, that's fully accurate. I'm doing <laughs> but fully in the East Coast mode. Very good. Very good. Um, before we get started with the basketball, I always like to ask people a, a question, and today's question is a completely random philosophical query, um, one that I always ask in my classes. I'm just curious what two basketball writers think of it. <clears throat> Let's say, Dallas and Alec, that I took you to a walk in the woods, and in the woods, we come to a clearing, and in the clearing, there's a beautiful horse, and the horse is completely tied up and immobilized. And I give you a pair of steel toe boots. And I tell you that if you can kick the horse to death in 20 minutes or less, every innocent person who is on death row will be set free. What would you do? What? Um, Alec gave the answer my kids usually do first, which is what? Oh, oh boy. I probably wouldn't do it. Because why? Because I don't want to kill a horse. <laughs> That's a very common response. A lot of people do not apparently want to kill a horse. Dallas, what about you? Um, so I'm over here looking up how many people are on death row. So, <laughs> and then I got to think about what's the probability that, like, how many are innocent? And what's the probability that the innocent ones end up eventually getting off or postponing? So For the purpose uh, of this hypothetical, we guarantee <laughs> like they're all free. Guarantee. No, no, no. Oh. oh, but I mean, like, what's the probability that they get off without me doing anything? Right? Because there's uh, like appeals true. and there's uh, you know, all uh, that sort true, of true, stuff. true, true. It would be really difficult to do that. I, I'm a animal lover. Uh, yeah. I'm a ve- I'm a vegetarian. I I just really struggle with harming animals, but I do think like you know if you're talking if you're weighing the number of lives, if it's yeah. you know pretty high probability that more are going to be. Um, although I guess you have to also think about I don't know. Yeah, prison. Su- yeah, I prob- I probably try to do it if I. You I try know. to save the people. I think so. Okay, that's tough. That's Good, tough. Matthew. What would you do? So I'm taking a cue from my answer has changed. I've been asking this question for about 10 years. And when it first started, my answer was I would do it um, like unquestionably, um, particularly because of the the way the, the death row system is um, 
unjust and slanted towards you know certain minorities in particular over and but i've had a lot of students um over the years whose answer has been that they wouldn't do it and this, this usually comes from international students so i find it an interesting perspective they wouldn't do it the reason being they don't think that they even even if the people are released they don't think that you can create justice out of an act of injustice and to kill the horse is an act of injustice period so even if that act were to trigger a release of all these innocent people a lot of a lot of people have told me their perspective is like still ultimately like injustice can't lead to justice and so even if that worked it's still in some ways making the world like a worser place like a, a, if, if that's what it takes they don't want to be a part of that world i say that now but like that's very easy to say because there's it's a hypothetical um there have to be extremes that such that it is clearly the the right thing so like uh you know, you cause a horse to have a, 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 a I don't know, whatever the um, uh, uh, analogous thing would be to like a hangnail, like slight discomfort that, that mm-hmm. you inflict on the horse, right? Mm-hmm. For great good, or or even just, I mean, even the same amount of suffering, but then just say like, you know, you stop global hunger. So mm-hmm. what is that like? Nine hundred million people or something like that suddenly are out of suffering. So th- there has to be some. At some point, it has to be worth doing the thing that is, you know, it's morally problematic. But when you when you add it up, at some point, the numbers have to count. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason the reason I I think it's interesting is because one of like the factors was made very clear. Like you have the irons and you're beating the horse with your foot. Like that, it's very clear. Mm-hmm. The other one is you're just kind of snapping your fingers and they're all free, and it's not so clear how that process is like taking place mm-hmm. so if both of it was just like you snap your fingers and the horse is dead and the people are free then maybe i would be more inclined to say yes the answers to this are always interesting because there's such a wide range of reasons why or why not people will do it and a lot of people fall on this point of like they would do it if like people who wouldn't kick it will do it if they could give it like a painless injection otherwise they wouldn't do it or um like you're saying like a lot of people will ask me as a follow-up like well how do i know that these people will actually be they don't trust the question from the start they don't have any conviction that you could actually deliver on the promise so therefore they won't do it which always interests me just because they're like i like i like people hunting for the the little cracks and hypotheticals like that And, and i always get that every year i always also get one kid per class who was terrifyingly excited about describing the details of what they would do to the horse. So I think that, um, I think this teaches us a lot about people in general, more than horses. Um, but enough of philosoph- philosophy, enough of philosophy today. Let's go to basketball. Um, and just maybe to cleanse our palate of that difficult question, I'm going to give each of you a basketball trivia question. Now, this, this is the 43rd episode of the Believe Knicks pod. Who was the last Nick? to wear the number 43 and Alec any idea who the last Brooklyn net was to wear the number 43 I know yeah it's Chris Humphreys Chris Humphreys in as of 2013 the last 43 to wear the Brooklyn net the only 43 a Kardashian has ever married it's a very very magical number um Dallas I would not have gotten this if I hadn't looked it up before the pod 
I basically never pay attention to the numbers of anybody. So I, I think I remember with Lance Thomas, 45, maybe Thomas was 42, 42. Okay. So close, but close. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. 43. I don't the like wrong antenna kumpo, the Nassus antenna kumpo. Oh, the last 43 on the New York Knicks. So, you know what? Audience, no other pod today is going to give you Chris Humphreys and the Nassus antenna kumpo. So, take that, put it in your pocket, and save it for a rainy day. Before we get into the basketball, please remember bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wedger to, to wedger. That's not like wedging. Let me start over. Bet online is the faces. I've been getting like no sleep and I just cannot read. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and lines, fine reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, home of the New York Mets, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and if sports are not your thing, golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V, and the number 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, in a testament to the same power of our first story, which is the Brooklyn Nets and their summer of drama. I've been trying to get Alec on the pod since July to talk about the Nets. And literally, like, I don't think anything substantive has changed in the story from when I first wanted to get him on until now. So this is like Twinkies. This is just still fresh. It's sitting out there. It's never going to go bad. Alec, let me start by asking you this. At this point, would you personally rather see... Durant get traded and just be done with this whole thing? Or is there a part of you that feels like he could come back? I hear a lot of people saying, like, you know what? The Nets can run it back for a year. They have leverage. Kyrie is under contract. KD is under contract for four years. He's not a Ben Simmons. He's not the kind of guy who's going to, like, ah, I'll just sit out. If he were going to come back, would you prefer that outcome? Or would you prefer, let's just move on and be done with this? I think... I think deep down inside of me, I wish that the answer to this question was that they ran it back. But I know that that's not the answer. And that the answer is that they should just trade him and get it over with. Because I think even if they do run it back, it's not going to win a championship. And too many bridges have been burned. And there are too many strong personalities running this team for them to recover with both KD and Kyrie. Do you think either side would actually be open? Like, do you think Josai has seemed clear in a non-aggressive way when he put that tweet out about we'll su- we support the front office? Does that mean you think that he's moved on? Like, I don't want to see Kyrie or KD here anymore, or do you think he doesn't think they'll do it? But like, like, is there any sense that the net organization would like to do that the way that because this is just kind of carrying on, and it seems to me like they might be running into a reality where they want a certain package that other deals tell them they should get. But if you have a small market, if no one's going to give you more than what Utah got for Rudy Gobert, then that's the market. Even if Kevin Durant is 10 times the player, do you think the organization would be open to KD on any level? Oh yeah, definitely. The Nets organization right now is stubborn 
to the maximum in that they are thinking right now they're thinking is, oh yeah, no, we're not going to fire Steve Nash or Sean Marks. And in no way are we caving to any of these demands, but also, yeah, no way are we trading you. Like that's not happening. The the Nets are kind of tired of three years, of just kind of like going into whatever these guys say. And so they're pretty ready to say, nope, we're going to keep you. And we're also not going to do what you want. And that's how it's going to happen. Like, I think early in the offseason, the Lakers were only offering one first-round pick for Kyrie. And the Nets were like, nope. And now they're offering two. And the Nets were like, nope. Because I don't think they really intend on trading either of them. Even though they don't want them, they still intend on trading them. Which is a weird distinction. But I think that is where they are. Do you think if KD said, I will come back next year as long as you keep Kyrie, that the Nets would consider that at all? Or are they done with this person? No, I think they would. I think the Nets organization might even be on better terms with Kyrie than KD right now, Um, which is kind of crazy to think about. But, like, there have been a lot of rumblings. And I've heard from some, like, very legitimate people that, like, Kyrie is trying to make an effort um, to to be a net next year. And that's what people from his camp are saying that he's that he's invested. And I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know how much of that is just him trying to get his value up. But people from Kyrie's camp are saying that like he wants to be a net and he <laughs> wants to commit to this team. And I think that's what the Nets want to hear. Dallas, I'm I'm presuming that you are not a Nets fan. Is that correct? <laughs> okay. That is correct. So from an outside perspective, um, I hear a lot of people, usually in national uh, media, talking about how this impacts Kyrie's legacy and to some extent Durant's as well. And in Durant's case, I'm not inclined to buy that because I feel like Kevin Durant could retire today and his his legacy is pretty set and pretty incredible. Um, Maybe Kyrie has left more mystery um, over the case of his career, but I generally err on the side of like player, you know, player rights and the players don't owe the public anything. And if Kyrie wants to quit tomorrow and do anything in life, good for him. Like he's earned that right, whatever. But as an outsider who follows the game to you, has this Brooklyn experience altered your opinion of either player versus what you made of them coming in? Cause I feel like, for Kyrie, like, the specifics are exceptional. But if you had told someone three years ago, like, Kyrie is going to be kind of flaky, I don't think that would be shocking. Like, the specifics would be, but not the actuality of it. And Durant has always been, like, maybe sensitive and seems very aware of how the public is talking about him. But, you know, there's the player, there's the game, and then there's the personality and there's all the other stuff. Do you feel any differently in your esteem or opinion of either player now than you did when they first signed with the Nets? Um, I guess, well, so there's a question of like them as a player and then them as like a person doing Mm -hmm. basketball related things. Mm -hmm. Um, So like as a player, uh, I've always been, like, I I guess I'm not, I'm not super surprised with how things have gone when they're, when they've been on the court, Mm -hmm. Um, especially, especially with respect to Kevin Durant. I've always been a little lower on him, I think, than the general basketball public um like in golden state i thought it was pretty clear he was worse than like not as good of a player as uh, steph curry i think steph's always been like significantly better than him um that does you know so like 
Uh, and I also have not thought of Kevin Durant as being like a guy who can clearly be the best player on a championship team without significant, significant help mm. um, has sort of always been my, my view, um, which I think is an outlier view. Um, I think I'm lower on him than a lot of people. Um, but I just, uh, I think while he's, uh, you know, like a, tr- a true shooting percentage <laughs> God or whatever, um, although still worse than guys like Steph Curry um, at, things like that but while he's a true shooting percentage god uh just doesn't make the game um easier for other players uh and doesn't put other players in positions to win in the same sort of way that a star like a steph curry or even a lebron does um and i think that does limit team ceilings um if you don't have uh or if you have him as like your as your best player um because you you get sort of like the the sum him and not benefits to other players. But anyways, that's um but as as like a, a like a maybe historical figure, I do think that leaving Golden State, he had an opportunity to really improve his legacy. Um at that point, you know, he had won two chips, so people were like, you know, there was I mean there's something good there, but he really didn't do it, you know, in a way that like people were torn about how much credit to give him for those, how much of it was that you joined maybe the best team of all time, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I think he had an opportunity to sort of really mold his own future and his own team. And if he could have proven that he was good enough to win in that way, I think a lot of people would have justifiably put him, you know, in the right in the the top, maybe top 10 sort of pantheon type of player. Um, but he proved he couldn't, and he also proved, and this is to the point of outside of being a player, but like being a basketball person that like, um he's just makes terrible basketball decisions like deandre jordan over jared allen uh horrendous basketball judgment um you know and i mean and in the large part i think like kevin durant and kyrie Irving seem and maybe alec you could confirm this more than you know you follow it a little more closely but it seems to me like over the last couple years they've had a lot of power even over i mean over free agents over what the team looks like over trades that sort of thing harden yada yada and it just looks like uh, you look at the moves and just uh, they just don't seem like that, you know, um, I mean, LeBron has had this critique as well, make you know, but LeBron has done, I think, a better job um, mm. in this respect. So in that respect, like, um, you know, looking at just KD's judgment of basketball and of what's going to help him win and put him in a position to win, it strikes me that he just has no idea um, at this point. Uh, <laughs> but as a player, I think probably I've, judge him pretty similarly which i was always a little lower in the first place yeah. so maybe that's that's why i haven't like think i don't think of him as any worse than i used to think really alec how do you rate um what durant when he's been on the floor has what he's been as a player to the net you know franchise and to the net fan base um versus all the other impacts that he's like i think what i want to get to is does it feel today like I didn't want the Knicks to sign Katie and Kyrie for reasons that I didn't think worked well with the with what the Knicks were at and the Knicks culture and everything. Um, I was afraid that James Dolan, you know, is kind of famously anti-media, and Durant and Kyrie have their own run-ins with media, and that just seemed to me like not a great thing to all throw together. Like the Knicks would end up literally building like a hut over MSG and like would never let anyone in. Um, today, is there any? consensus obviously it's, it's the fan base is not a monolith but 
is there a general feeling about because the Nets really were not on the NBA map. The Brooklyn Nets were not on the NBA map. The New Jersey Nets had made their mark. Brooklyn had not. Um, just put them on the map instantly. It gave them a lot of credibility, a lot of cachet. It made them a national talking point, probably more than even a local talking point. Do you think, I'll just ask you for you, going back three years now, would you do it again, knowing that this is what's going to come from it? Or would you say you had a nice, you know, they were building up a, a really esteemable culture. They had D'Angelo Russell. They had talented young players. They had Jared Allen, uh, Karis LeVert. Would you still go back and do it again because you just don't get the Like, Nick fans know very well there was a lot of griping in the 90s when the Knicks never won at all, and a lot of those people have been on their knees since the 90s begging just to be relevant again. The Nets have been relevant for the years, um, in the last couple of years, certainly. Do you think most Nets fans would do it again, or do you think it's been that jarring that they might actually rethink it? No, I think you do it a hundred times out of a hundred again, like kind of without a doubt. Uh, it's been, it's been, it's been tiresome. It's been quite the three years. Yeah. Like on me personally, I know it's been like stressful <laughs> and anxiety inducing, yeah. but it's been a really good basketball team. Mm-hmm. Like they've made the playoffs four years in a row. They've made the playoffs like the most, like, I don't know, either six or seven out of the 10 years they've been in Brooklyn. Mm. Um, and in 2021, like before Harden and Kyrie got hurt against the Bucks, like they were kind of the best team in basketball, in my yeah. opinion. I don't, I don't really think that's up for debate. Like it happens, and I think there's probably about two teams that could have won a chip every year, and they say, oh, and they didn't because of injury. But like, I'm pretty confident that team would have won a championship. Mm-hmm. Last season was a mess, like 17 different times over. But even if you do trade Kevin Durant, and you get Jalen Brown, or you get some organizations like five draft picks, or you get like OG and Obi and Siakam, or I don't know who they're going to get, but you're going to get someone of solid value. It's still better because like Karis Silver doesn't look amazing. As much as I love Karis, great guy. He doesn't look amazing. He's battled through a lot, but he's, yeah, he's Yeah, strong. D'Angelo Russell is kind of like, he kind of peaked in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Spencer Dinwiddie kind of peaked in Brooklyn, even though he's solid. Um, the only real, the only real person that you regret losing, I think, is Jared Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was in the Harden trade, and the Harden trade made them the best team in the league. Right. Like, I, I don't think you can really regret those moves. So before we move to the rest of the division, as long as we're talking about potential regret, Dallas, the there was a story I think earlier this week about a total non-story that the Knicks and the Jazz had touched base again about Donovan Mitchell, which really means nothing. Um, I don't know if I am just so burned out that like, I I don't have time for anything that's not substantial, but I'm, I'm already kind of at the point where like, I just want the story to end regardless of the outcome, which is extremely impatient and why I would not be a good general manager. But (laughs) do you think that, do you care if the Knicks at this point land Donovan Mitchell before the regular season or after um, whatever day it is that player signed this summer can be traded? Um, used to be December 15th. I don't know if it still is. Do you care at this point if the Knicks get Donovan Mitchell or are you ready to roll just with like what they have? Um, Yeah, it's weird. So, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's 
good player, obviously. Um, so you never say like, oh, I don't, I don't want a very good player on my team. Um, but, uh, you know, whether or not I want him just depends on what the value is. He's not, uh, you know, where even Kevin Durant was, for example, when he was leaving Golden State, right? Like he's not that caliber of player. No. Like, so that's the sort of player you give up everything for maybe Kevin Durant leaving Golden State if he was on the, if it was a trade market. Um, mm-hmm. and that, uh, which I actually, I'd be curious to hear what you think, Alec, about Kevin Durant's like what he's actually worth as opposed to what his league wide trade value would be. Um, cause now I don't, I don't think he's worth, you know, I don't think he's worth everything anymore. Um, I would be very hesitant unless it's like the absolute right scenario, um, uh, to go all in for a guy like Kevin Durant at this stage in his career. I'm surprised um, by how many people have said like, whatever it takes, this is the greatest like player ever available for he's 34. It's not like since he came back from the Achilles, he's been an Iron Man. Um, you know he's incredible, and I'm I'm never I'm not ready to say well he's on the decline, but his best years have to be behind him. Um, his contract carries him through age 37, but all you hear is like, well, yeah, you have to trade nine picks and two All Stars to get him, and I don't think that team exists. Well, yeah, that's for uh, sure. That that team doesn't exist for sure. Nine picks. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma City has a lot of picks. Well, that's true. That's true. But they're not. So the, the only teams that are going to really be moving for him are co- legitimate contenders, right? You right. have to think. You have to think because what at best your window is like, I mean, if you're really optimistic, maybe you have three years, but probably your window is like next year, maybe the year after. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I don't, yeah your window is tight so anything uh you have to you have to keep enough to compete right now and that has to either require you keeping stars or keeping sufficient role players to put around him um and we did just see like uh, i think he has started to de- decline on the court actually so like true shooting like as a shooter he's still amazing but he's been getting to the rim way less now maybe an extra year off not being injured he'll get there like maybe you know sometimes it takes a little longer than just whatever but mm-hmm. at his age am i betting on that and then also i think lateral movement on defense where he was never like an elite defensive player i think there were times he got overrated on that end but he was mm-hmm. a solid defensive player for a long time could offer some weak side rim protection and just at his length and his um movement ability right was not harming you on that end at least but mm-hmm. even in high level games was making important defensive plays um I think that's declined. So now when you're looking at his value, it's primarily as a shooter and what gravity he can have as a shooter is what how he's going to help other people. Um, and he's an awesome shooter. Uh, but as the rest of the value starts to decline, I think, you know, he starts falling down, in my view, towards the t- bottom end of the top 10 players in the NBA as opposed to the top end of the top 10 players in the NBA, maybe something like that. I don't know. I, I I think Kevin Durant is still pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I watched. I watched Top ten is lot, good. <laughs> I watched a lot of Kevin Durant, and I watched him carry some pretty, pretty poo poo rosters on some Wednesday nights, with some pretty good wins. So I think I look all the points about like him getting to the rim are right. He is like really he's more frequently setting for short mid range jump shots. Mm-hmm. And like finishing as much, but the mid range jump shots go in. 
Like, <laughs> I think he's still, um, I, I don't think he showed, I think, I think if you're going to say that he's regressing, it's only because of the level he was once at was so amazing. Like, yeah. even Kevin Durant, like, two years out of his peak is a top three player, in my opinion. Um, he, uh, he, he did not have a good series against Boston at all. But besides that, I think last season he was pretty much at the peak of his powers, like ninety eight percent of what he's been. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, so- he was, he's different. He's he's a different. He's an evolved player. But I think he's pretty much just as talented as he was. But here's so here's what I think you have to take into account with his. He's losing his ability to get to the rim, but not just that. So when you lose your ability to get to the rim, you lose the ability to draw help help in the same way that you used to be able to. And that hurts the sort of passes you can make. Um, it hurts the sort of angles that you open up, right? If you're not having um, a second defender come to meet you at the rim, you don't have access to those kickout passes any longer, which are super high value passes. And then a, a second thing, right? So then this is sort of the point I was making that his value used to be a little bit more robust and in multiple facets where now it's sort of shrunk and most of his value comes from shooting and he can shoot from anywhere on the court and probably is the best shooter anywhere on the court. Um, uh, uh, but still there's that. And then the other place where I think he's lost a little value is on the defensive end. Um, and so now maybe instead of being a neutral or a slight plus, I think he's a legitimate minus, not a huge minus, but he's not at his lateral quickness is not there. Um, what it's not what it used to be. And I think that makes a difference. So now you still have great shooting, but you start subtracting a little bit along the edges and you just don't have the same impact as a player as you used to have. Um, but I do agree with you that he's had absolutely no help. And in fact, part of, I mean, part of the reason why he was able to get shut down by Boston was because there was literally, there was nobody else for them to be worried about. So they sent multiple guys at him all the time, multiple coverages. Um, but yeah, anyways. I'll- yeah, I don't know. I guess that's kind of where I disagree about help defense because you're right in that in not getting the room, he's not making kickout passes. And I think I think his handle is probably what I think is, has always been a little most overrated about Kevin Durant. Yeah. But um, he's not like a stationary shooter by any means. Like he can still get to his spots, and he can still he can still hesitate, and he can still contort his body, and he can still get to that free throw line extended in a way that like watch the Boston series. <laughs> he, he there were plenty of double teams. There were plenty of triple teams. Like there was an entire zone to him so yeah i also i still think he's pretty good on defense he's lost some laterally but his instincts as a help defender as like a weak side like shot blocker are still pretty solid i think i might have wrote about that at some point in the season like with some video but he can still definitely help even if it's in a different way on both ends i guess it reminds me a bit in a way of um like when alan iverson played Nobody really worried about how many post-ups Allen Iverson was getting because Allen Iverson was so uniquely gifted at, at certain things that you couldn't measure. Conventional standards did not apply to him in a certain sense. Even I feel even if Durant is getting to the rim less, um, and it does, I agree, Like obviously when you remove that asset, you remove the possibilities that come with it. But there's not another player in the league like him who needs so little handle and so little speed at his height and with his skill like 
when he pulls up from that free throw line extended spot that he loves to go to, like if you're the defense, you're not happy. Like whatever you were trying to do didn't work. If the set is ending with Kevin Durant pulling up from 17 feet, rising over someone six nine who can't keep with them. Um, the gamble with any team that was going to trade for him is like, how long are his gifts going to make him, you know, still dominant enough to be worth it? Um, because once he starts to lose more and more of that, particularly, I think health is the thing that's costing him the most. I think if Kevin Durant were still playing 80 games a year, he's all NBA first team and nobody has a second thought about it. Like no question. Um, something that I've been a little thrown by. I don't know if, if there was any talk about this among the net fans, Alec, but it sounded like um, when it was still possible, it's not anymore, but when it was possible that Phoenix could trade DeAndre Ayton in a deal to the Nets, it's a lot came out sounding like Brooklyn has no interest in this guy. And I don't blame them. I don't think DeAndre Ayton is a piece you build a team around, but there are not many players in the league as big as him who have an impact on both ends the way he does. He's highly, he doesn't get to the line and he doesn't shoot threes, but he's very efficient from two point range. He showed in the playoffs, like the level he can reach as a, as a defender on a great team. The Nets, I don't know if they like um, Nick Claxton that much or if it was something else, but was there ever a, a vibe or a reason for why they just had seemingly no interest in DeAndre Ayton at all? Um, that's a good question. I I wonder, like, personally, how much of the Nets immediately shutting down Ayton talk was because, well, like we kind of mentioned earlier, I think Durant's trade request was very short-sighted. And he wasn't really thinking about, like, the effects on everything that it would have. And it's kind of just like, yeah, let me let me get out of here. Like, freak, forget this. Let's go to Phoenix. Like, they'll get me to Phoenix. And that's like, no, we're not going to get you to Phoenix. And we don't want DeAndre Ayton. And we want, like, Devin Booker, which obviously isn't happening. So I think, I think, I don't know how much of the Nets not wanting Ayton was, like, purely for basketball reasons and how much they're just kind of, posture and say and prove to Kevin Durant that they're not going to make it easy on him. Mm. Interesting. So let's hop around the division a little bit. Um, can I, can I say one last thing? Yeah, of course. Quick? Yeah, go ahead. Just, I don't know. I just looked this up because I had done this earlier in the off season. Cause I, people were talking the, uh, this is just to go back to KD one more time. The, the, uh, the old Steph KD debate, you know, mm-hmm. that people have. So uh, let me just pull this up. I pulled up their efficiency in the playoffs together and without each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really shocking. When you see KD without Steph in the playoffs, he's actually not that – he's not been that good in his career. Is this just um, in the Golden State years, or is this like in his no, whole career? His whole career. So his whole career. So that includes OKC. It includes, right. includes Brooklyn as well. So – um, if you look at his career with Steph in the playoffs, his true shooting percentage is 64.22%. So elite of the elite, right? Without Steph in his career, 57.9. Not elite. Um, you can find a whole list of players with better true shooting. Like, I mean, you know, guys like Kawhi are at 62 career, um, regardless of, uh, uh, you know, whether who they're next to. Um, you have guys like, Steph who are 60 for their career, right? So you're looking at a guy who's significantly below the less or like the top guys, even in terms of 
just shooting and scoring. So I do think like when you start looking at him, when he's in these positions, um, and this sort of just goes back to the, like, I don't think he's a guy you can treat as your best player and expect to be in contention without having really significant help around him anymore. Um, I think that was probably always the case, but it's definitely the case now. And I think there has to be like at least five guys and depending on what you think of Kawhi and LeBron right now, maybe seven guys that you pretty clearly take before you take Kevin Durant um, in terms of thinking like, okay, we want to compete next year for a championship or something like that. Um, Given Kawhi's injury history, are you still definitely taking him over Durant? Yeah, that's the big, they're both to me big up in the airs right now. Um, okay. It's hard to say, but if Kawhi's healthy, yes. If Kawhi's healthy, okay. then absolutely. Both as def- both defensively and offensively, I think he's just a better player. Um, both sides. I'm going to offer you four syllables to explain how Durant goes from 64 with Steph to 57 without, and those four syllables are Russell Westbrook. I think everything Durant accomplished before he got to Golden State was exceptional and ironic because it occurred with an elite teammate who I don't think made his life any easier. Obviously, there were there would obviously be possessions where Russ will break down a defense and the ball swings and Durant gets it open three, but the general like. It was a t- it was a controversy during Katie's time in OKC. Late in games, there was a stretch where there was a, a controversy and a beef over whether Durant or Westbrook. Maybe Westbrook was the only one having the controversy, but since the ball was in his hands, it mattered. There was a, a a bit of a rupture about who should be taking the shots at the end of the games, and that's not just Durant playing, you know, his his prime up to his prime years with. For all Westbrook's numbers, like he's a flawed great player. They they exist and he's one of them. Um, but it's a player who is actively in his approach to the game, often antithetical to other stars. Westbrook has played with a million stars. I can't think of one that you look back on and say, you know, when that guy was awesome, when he played with Russell Westbrook. Paul George. Would be the, that's the one. Maybe, Maybe. Paul George, but, but Paul George is pretty sick in Indiana too. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't George probably was really good that season. It wasn't Russ probably that was doing it, but right, that yeah. was yeah, yeah, yeah. So in just in a, I just have to say this because it always comes up in these KD Golden State conversations, especially, and I, I don't think Dallas was saying this, but there are people who will say like, okay, yeah, KD he got his MVPs in the finals, and he got his chips, but he did it. He joined the best team. He joined this monster team. I would point out in KD's defense. They did not become a dynasty till he got there because the two years before him, they won once. And the team they lost to in 2016 was pretty even with them in both series. The tie turned the moment Durant got to Golden State. And to help like look at it further, since they split, because then I heard people this year saying, oh, now that Golden State won without him. Well, how did Golden State do the last couple of years without him? It wasn't simply a matter of them losing. They had tons of injuries. They're going in a new direction, but like, I feel like if if Durant literally, if Durant's foot is three inches further back at the end of that game seven against the Bucks, he wins the title before Golden State does. And this whole conversation, I all all, all that is just to say that I think somehow people miss the fact that what made Golden State a dynasty was Durant. This is not. This is not this isn't you know guys who hopped on the Lakers late in the 80s. They were one and one without him. They were two and one with him. And they, they won maybe one of three without him. 
So they were definitely, definitely uh, made better by Kevin Durant. I don't think there's any reasonable person yeah, who could claim Kevin that. Durant did not make the Golden State Warriors better. Um, but the year before he got there, legitimately people were saying, is this the greatest team ever that's ever been on the basketball court, right? Like that was a discussion that was active and not unreasonable. Um, and I think with him, I think there's actually a really compelling case that they were the best team yeah. maybe of all time. Um, uh, uh, there, Yeah. Anyways, I, I think that's a plausible uh, argument to make. So it, definitely he made them better, but I'm not sold. I mean, you had it. They were so good. I'm not sold that they don't go, that they don't end up winning the exact same number um, uh, without him. Um, it wouldn't shock me. Like, yeah, obviously, might, yeah. how, how do we figure out those counterfactuals? I don't know, but um, uh, you have a team who wins over uh, 70 in the regular season. Um, <laughs> and then you have, they've won, they've won a chip. So they, they lost one, but to LeBron, who's, you know, in the conversation for being the best player of all time. Um, uh, uh, not a shabby person to lose to, even if the team wasn't, you know, maybe the greatest team. Um, still, so I, I, I don't know. And, and those Cavs teams, I think got a little bit probably worse with Kevin Love aging. Um, anyways, I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't think it's like, uh, obvious that they wouldn't have won the same number. Um, and then since Kevin Durant's been gone, yeah, Clay has been out until this year. Right. Um, Steph was he hurt. got injured the same time yet Steph got hurt too. Um, so I just don't like those years. It's just like they don't count in terms of thinking of the Warriors. They didn't. They didn't have a chance. Yeah, the, ahead, like, I kind of think about it the same way as Dallas. Like after KD left, the Warriors were hurt for two years, mm -hmm. and then they won the championship. And after KD left, KD was hurt for one year, and then he was like right there with the champ with the eventual champions. Like they both kind of were right there once they recovered from their respective injuries, and like. The Warriors, I mean, say what you will about being one and one. They still had one championship before he got there. Like, championship, oh, yeah. that counts. I'm a Knicks fan. I'm yeah, not looking down on anybody winning a championship. I'll tell you <laughs> that right now. I'm just saying, I think what stands out to me is that if you remember in that first season when they won, they won in six games. Cleveland didn't have love. Kyrie yeah. out, I think, in the first game. And LeBron, the Cavs were up two to one. And LeBron was like the metronome controlling that series. The following season, they meet again. Um, and LeBron, obviously, peak of his powers. Now he has help. They win again. I find that they, they were extremely evenly matched until Durant got there. And Well, I think, I know, think that's why this year's championship is so important. Like, there's been a lot of speculation about why exactly Durant is asking for a trade. I can guarantee you at least some of it is the Warriors winning without him. Guaranteed. So to follow with that, would you agree there was some talk when they were mentioning who are teams he might go to that Golden State would be open to a reunion. I thought that makes no sense for him. You know, if he wants to go strike out on his own, he's not going to go back to Golden State. Do you think, like, that's that's not a thing? Like, he wouldn't go back there then? I mean, I think the Warriors are trying to drive up the price for Phoenix. Um, but I, yeah. I also think that Kevin Durant often makes decisions that don't make sense. So <laughs> That's maybe fair. he was eh, Brooklyn That's was kind of hard. That was kind of easy. Maybe I should do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so
So once again, using Golden State as a springboard, let's look at the Celtics, um, a team that defeated Durant last season, or defeated Durant's team last season, and has been mentioned as maybe the team with the most currently ideal offer for Durant. Um, you saw, obviously, Alec, a lot of the Celtics last year, given the, the playoff matchup with the Nets, which was not, you know, a four-game whooping. Like, that, that series early on could have gone in some different directions. Do you think the Celtics are better, let's say, losing Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart in that defense, but adding Kevin Durant? Like, less depth, but more high-end talent. Is that something you think that gets the Celtics closer than they were last year? Um, well, like, long story short, yes. But if I'm the Celtics, I really try to hold on to Marcus Smart yeah. because I think you can just kind of do Jalen Brown and Derek White, maybe two first-round picks, and that's kind of enough. Hmm. Maybe a third if it's really not. But, like, I, I, I don't think you need to put in Marcus Smart. I think the Celtics kind of as a whole – I don't want to say they that they were overrated because they deserved everything they got last postseason. They had a fantastic defense and it changed every opponent. But I think, like you said, the net, the sweep against the Nets was a tight sweep. And the Bucks didn't have Chris Middleton for that entire series. Right. And they still didn't win the championship. Mm-hmm. So it's good that they made additions this offseason. And if I were them, I would still add Durant if I could and not just say, oh, we made the finals. Dallas, what do you think of the Celtics and how they're looking for one way versus the other? Or just what are your thoughts about them going into the next season? Anything that interests you about them? Yeah, I think they've gotten overrated because they made the finals. I think Alex is right on what he's saying. Like, if you look at – if you go into next year right now, um, I don't think – like, to me, they're not the favorite in a seven-game series against the healthy Bucks. They barely yeah. beat them without Middleton. Yeah, that's – I mean um, – probably they're the favorite again against the heat but that series also was not um that's a I mean, tough that was, for them yeah that was it's a weird series where both teams were horrendous offensively mm-hmm. um and i thought i thought the heat actually did some like strangely as good as Spolstra is or as, as good as he often gets and I, I mean i think genuinely um credit for being i think he made some mistakes that series but um yeah so and then, of course, you think are going to think the Warriors are better than them, um, presumably. And then whoever uh, gets KD is going to have a legitimate argument for being um, potentially better than them. So, like, let's say that he goes to Phoenix and you have Chris Paul and KD together. Like, I think a lot of teams are going to think probably give them the edge over. So it's not any it's nothing like a sure thing that Boston gets back to the finals and nothing like a sure thing that if they do that, they win as it is. That said... Jalen Brown is young. Tatum is young. They have a young four outside of really Horford. There's a lot of youth there and there's no rush to make it happen next year. Um, I, you know, uh, is KD a guy who maybe is going to have, like we were talking about the, what's your realistic window? Like you can be confident maybe one or two years. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, maybe you get three years, maybe you get Maybe you get four. I don't know. Um, Brady Brady is still going. Sometimes this stuff happens. Uh, these days, people are playing longer. But mm-hmm. like, I think you can be confident about one or two years, and then you're really unsure. Is that better than sticking with Jalen Brown now, who's really good in his own right? Um, will probably get better, and will continue to be a lucrative trade trip, trade 
chip. So if another star comes available, um, uh, maybe one who gives you a slightly bigger window because they're 30 instead of, you know, hmm. what is KD now? 33? 34. 34. Yeah, 34. Has history, of some injury history. Uh, mm -hmm. Looks to maybe be slowing down in terms of lateral movement, in terms of getting first step, that sort of stuff. I mean, I you probably, I think like Boston with him is a contender for sure next year um and maybe even the favorites um i still think it's closer to a toss-up with the bucks um a healthy bucks team like i'm not i'm not sold that healthy bucks healthy uh celtics with kd uh I, like i would not want to put money either way right like i'd be mm. i'd be very hesitant to putting money either way um because Giannis is just incredible and basically had no help it was amazing how little help he had in that uh that Celtic series. It was mm -hmm. uh so yeah. So am I really gonna give up Jalen Brown, my best trade trade chip, plus maybe you know, smart and picks for that chance of I, I don't think so. I think if I'm them, I'm I play it, I play the patient game. Um and I wait it out and see what happens with Jalen Brown. Unless they have, I think uh Ashwin has made this point before, unless they have intel that Jalen Brown is leaving. If you have intel that mm -hmm. like he's planning on leaving in free agency. Um, or he's done with the Celtics and that might hurt your leverage or hurt his value. Um, mm -hmm. if you had like inside information as the Celtics, maybe that makes it make a lot more sense. Like, okay, we need to get value for him now because mm -hmm. once we get down the road, but anyways, that's sort of my thoughts on there's, there's definitely noise that Jalen Brown might be <laughs> testing free agency in two yeah. years, whether he's on the Celtics or on another team. Yeah, there's that there's for sure. Oh, another, another thing about the Celtics. Um, being, uh, in terms of, uh, being, uh, lower on people who, uh, are in this mold than the national average. I think I'm lower on Jason Tatum than a lot of people too. Um, you I think sweet shooting large forwards <laughs> <laughs> and Tatum isn't even as sweet of a shooter right, as KD. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, I don't know. I think he's solidly probably back end of the top 10. Like he's like maybe the 10th best player in the league or something like that. Mm. Um, but he had an enormous amount of help. Like he is right now. Um, I think I would say very confidently. And so maybe this also will inform what I was saying about KD earlier too. If you, I was talking with, um, I don't know if you know, Ted, um, yeah. who's yeah. Okay. Awesome. Always has great historical knowledge too. Um, I think their name on Twitter is Goat in New York. Yeah. Um, if I remember That's correctly. Dope. That's dope. Yeah. Awesome. And so we were, I was talking with them recently and they were pointing out, or we were talking about his, history, just the history of the game. Um, and there have been like not guys who aren't top five players who have been the best player on a championship team. Um, it's like mm. minuscule. Mm. Um, and that even finding guys who aren't like top three players in the league at the time that they won is hard. Um, there are very few cases and definitely not top five. And then when you go top, not top 10, you find almost, almost basically no examples, right? Mm. Uh, like you have the Pistons in 2004 where, okay, maybe not a top five player um, in terms of like Ben Wallace or whoever you want to say was their best player um, that year. And then you have some people argue maybe the Spurs when Duncan was getting older and before Kawhi had really stepped into his own, um, I forget what year that would have been. And like Manu was maybe no top five player that year maybe duncan was like you know eight or something you know what i mean something yeah, like that 2014 
yeah, I think that might be the year. But then you go back and it's like not till the 80s where you find another, like early mm-hmm. 80s, where you find another example. So if you're talking about a guy like Jason Tatum, who's maybe a 10 or maybe a, like ninth or eighth or something like that at best, you're looking at it. You have to have an awesome team to contend, right? Around a guy like that. Um, it is really, really hard to have him be your best player. Um, uh, uh, and then I think the same thing is going for me with Kevin Durant, where I think he's now getting into that lower half of the top 10 at this point in his career, um, uh, where it just becomes hard to contend with guys that are that good, at least just as a historical point, you know, you can have weird years and things can happen, but, um, yeah. So another team in the division that is a title hopeful, um, and have a couple of players who at their best have been ranked pretty high. Philadelphia 76ers, we hear that James Harden is in terrific shape and he took a suspicious suspicious pay cut so that P.J. Tucker and Daniel House, former teammates, could join him. Alec, you have probably seen more of Harden than either one of us the last couple of years, which still isn't saying much because you didn't see much of him either. But um, what do you think? They have a full offseason, a full training camp together. Do you think the 76ers could be a team that comes out of the East and maybe even goes on to win a championship? No, um, not really. I mean, I think we've heard that James Harden's in the best shape of his life, like a lot, like pretty much every off season for about four years. And there's a reason. And that's reason is because he's rarely is actually in the best shape of his life. But, but if we do, and if James Harden has, resurge to his past self to his like 2020 2021-ish self not his 2022 self then I think we will know pretty quickly is my estimation I think within the first few weeks of the season it will be clear whether he's actually getting to the rim and creating space for himself or he's kicking his legs out on jump shots and using the ball as a weapon and just trying to get free throws like it will be very clear very quickly in my opinion there have been some pretty crazy champions in sports, like um, in college basketball, obviously. There have been years where you have Cinderella teams, and a couple of years ago, somebody in the NFL won who didn't have like a great record. Um, there have been baseball teams around 500 that have won the World Series. Can you think of a, a stranger path to the title than a committed and in-shape James Harden rising to lead the 76ers to it? Like, like, like I was just saying, like, usually the team that wins, there's a very obvious reason. It's Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson or LeBron James. And obviously Harden and Embiid, in terms of resume, look like a championship duo. Um, if Embiid stays healthy, him and Jokic to me are, are different players, but equal in terms of nobody has an answer for that. It's just a different kind of force. Um But <laughs> if James Harden, after the way he got out of Houston... And the way he got out of Brooklyn is like holding that trophy. I don't think I will have ever seen a stranger NBA championship in my life. I can't imagine that. When the Rockets were a six seed, less strange. Um, when the Celtics went from, you know, they added three guys and went from like 15 wins to 60, less strange. I cannot think of a stranger title than that. Um, let me ask you this. I just thought of this. Who do net fans hate the most in the division? Is it the Knicks? 
Oh, like which team? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I don't think we're a fair fan of anyone, really. I was I mean, gonna say, like you you hate the Knicks. I think of you hating the Celt- the the Sixers. Yeah, I think if you kind of I think the Sixers are the least liked. I think yeah, it bothers okay. fans. It bothers Nets fans when they're told, like when they're compared to the Knicks, because the Nets fans are like we're better than the Knicks and we have been for a long time. So we're kind of above that. So I think they hate the Sixers the most. Nice. Does anyone hate Toronto? Nobody hates <laughs> Toronto is the San Diego of the Atlantic Division. You cannot hate it. It just can't. Philly probably does. Philly probably has some animosity. Philly has to. It's like biological yeah. for them. But I don't think, I think, you know, Boston doesn't hate Toronto. The Knicks don't hate I, Toronto. There's some beef from that, like, 2013 playoff series with the Nets where they won at the last second in Game yes. 7. Was, it, was, was Kyle Lowry on I that? Think, like, yeah, I think that might be Toronto hating Brooklyn more than the other way around. Which is funny. <laughs> Considering they're the ones with the championship, it's kind of funny. Yeah, and like heading into the next season, like Toronto's another a very solid team in the division. Solid might not even be putting it high. They could easily win fifty games. They are a really interesting team in terms of their design. Like some teams just kind of happen. The Raptors are very clearly the result of intelligent design. Everyone is in the same size range, same um, wingspan range, multi-talented forwards who can handle the ball. Tough little guards. Um, but do they have a season? I guess I guess it all comes down to Scotty Barnes. Because my first thought is, like, can the Raptors get past, like, the second round? I don't see that. But Scotty Barnes was rookie of the year last year. And late in the year, he was looking nasty. And in terms of just, like, I don't think the Raptors have the same top-end talent that Brooklyn or certainly Philadelphia and even Boston have. But in terms of a, a continuum of, like, really good talent, they have as much as anybody. You've got Barnes, you've got Anunoby, you've got Siakam, you've got <clears throat> Van Vliet, you've got the guys they bring up through the G League, other people I'm not even thinking of. It's, but anybody see them pass the second round? Dallas, what do you think? Nope, no, I don't see him pass the second round. Uh, I mean, I do. One thing I would say, I mean, uh, I don't know. They could get the right draw. It's possible. Um, Fred was Fred Van Fleet too was injured in that first round this year. Um, I think he's better than he played in that first round of the playoffs. Um, yeah. He didn't very clearly didn't wasn't able to separate um, and just like explode. And he's not obviously a super explosive player, anyways. Um, but I do think sometimes with guys who aren't that explosive. Uh, the little, whatever little bit they have is super important, right? And I think that's actually something we've seen with Harden too. Alec, you were talking about him not getting to the rim as much. Um, but he's never been like a super explosive player. Uh, but his hesitation has been incredible. But if you don't have enough speed to make the off-speed work, uh, right? <laughs> it's just like a pitcher. You sort of, you lose that. So when you, I think sometimes when you start off not that um, athletic, the losses can be bigger, um, although in some ways, sometimes you develop other ways of contributing, um, mm-hmm. because you weren't that athletic in the first place. So there's, I mean, there's different things, but, uh, anyways, yeah, no, I, I don't see the Raptors unless they got like, they could get, if they pulled the Sixers and Embiid was injured, cause you know, I don't have any faith in him remaining healthy. And then they get, you know, rounds two, they get, um, 
Uh, that's that. Yeah, getting past round two is hard. They could get uh, Boston. I think the Raptors could be Boston. May yeah, maybe, and especially if so. Like, let's say Boston does Brown and Smart for KD, and KD's injured or something like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, there's always paths. They're good enough to have a path, but it's a very low probability path. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair way of putting it. Is is Scotty Barnes the player that the Nets have sounded the most? excited about from other teams almost every deal i hear about is like a couple nice players scotty barnes is like really nice does he has he has he seemed to raise more excitement than some of the other packages that we've heard about yeah i think i think the nets would definitely prefer scotty barnes over jalen brown as they should Mm -hmm. um i don't obviously they want him over like macau bridges and all of phoenix's draft capital um, I don't know where they'd be on like Scotty Barnes versus Brandon Ingram. I think that'd be a pretty interesting mm-hmm. date. But Scotty Barnes is definitely like the, the top prize that I, I think is at the top of the wish list that I don't think they will end up getting, honestly. I think they're going to get a good team second best young player mm-hmm. and maybe Jalen Brown, but I don't think we'll get Scotty Barnes. We're going to close with a little bit of kinkiness here. I want Dallas as a Nick fan. I want you to tell us something you admire about the Nets and Alec. I want you as a Net person to tell me one thing. We got to bridge this gap. One thing that you admire about the Knicks. Does it have to be uh, current? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, Why? What do you got? I have always admired uh, the Dr. J Nets Irving jerseys. Um, or do- the Dr. J, excuse me. Yeah, the Dr. J Nets jerseys. If you're, if you're, uh, yeah, the 32. Those are just, gor- those are gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. I also loved, I like I like both of the Lopez brothers. So back when oh, Brooke yeah. Lopez was there, those are, even though he played in some ways a disgusting brand of basketball, just like, Marcus Aldridge, <laughs> but weirder and <laughs> less smooth. Um, it was still I like I liked I liked it. Uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed Brooke um, on the Nets. So there's there's two things. Brooke Lopez is the most <laughs> incredible, I think, transition I've seen in a player. Where if you remember when he came up with the Nets, he was a low post beast, and everything oh, yeah. was down in the paint and free throws, and he was enormous. And he was like one of the he was actually one of the better scoring centers, um, particularly from down low. And now when you sign Brooke Lopez, like you're getting a three and D center, and he is really developed a three a three point shot. I, I can't think of many players who if you went you took a time machine ten years in the future, you would not believe like what you were seeing this person doing. So okay. Can I? I think we had a little window where that happened a few times for bigs, and I think we'll probably never see it again. And I think what happened was you had so basically, this is sort of my hypothesis. If you start shooting and you shoot all the time when you're really young, you get make you get deep set mechanics and deep set habits, and you can make some tweaks, but it's really hard to radically improve as a shooter or something like that. But if you grow up not shooting at all, like a lot of the bigs used to do, and mm. then all of a sudden the NBA changes and incentivizes shooting, you can basically have your shot built from the ground up. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot more that you can do. You're a lot more flexible. So you have some of these guys who came in who didn't shoot that much, like 
Blake Griffin, Brooke Lopez, whatever. And then they got to the NBA, the three suddenly becomes valuable. And you see this like weird, you know, um, development of a shot uh, <laughs> that you're like, these guys didn't shoot before. Like what, what happened? Um, and I think there was that window of pro- now though, bigs shoot. It doesn't matter. Like, right. Like <laughs> um, if you're a 10 year old and you're like, or whatever, I don't know, 15 year old and you're way, uh, way taller than everybody else. You're out there shooting threes. Still, mm-hmm. everybody is shooting threes now. Uh, everybody knows. So I think we're gonna have less of those crazy. Um, but there was like this little window where I, mm-hmm. I remember going through a list. I can't think of the other guys now. There were like five guys, six guys who had. They were bigs who had these like. Serge Ibaka went out there like that. He was mm-hmm. another one. Um, PJ yeah. Tucker certainly has developed that that range also. Yeah, I think, I think the um, I think the. That's a really interesting point, Dallas. I think the part I agree with most is kind of the future and that everyone is kind of learning to shoot at a young age these days. So, like, you either don't – you'll you'll know if you can or not much earlier now. Mm-hmm. And it won't really be a mid-career, like, revival. Um, I know for, like, Brooks' case, the Nets – it was Kenny Atkinson. Shout out to Kenny Atkinson, who was like, you shoot free throws pretty well. Like, you're, like, 79 80%. How about we have you shooting some threes? And yeah, I think it worked. All right. So my my nice thing about the Knicks, I have I have two nice things to say. This is beautiful. This is a beautiful moment. I one love- one is kind of facetious. One one is not. For one, <laughs> I think the Knicks do a very good job of um like I think they're like the NBA team with the most like people of color hired. I think mm-hmm. they do a job bringing a lot of perspectives into that front office. Which is important, especially in a city like New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. The side talk NYC videos are a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not an fan, but I will yell. Can, can we curse on this podcast? <laughs> yes, you can. I will, I, I will yell. Fuck Trey Young, like with with the group, like <laughs> fun. It's a lot of fun, and like I am a New Yorker, so like those are my people, even mm-hmm. if I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, it's, it's a good like. It's a good sense of like camaraderie and community, even even if you're not an X fan. It's New Yorkers, really. Mm-hmm. I like that. Early in the show, Alec was talking poo poo, and now at the end, he's just throwing the f bomb around. That's growth. That's comfort. That's what the Believe Nick show is all about. Um, so, I want to thank both of our guests, Dallas and Miko, and Alex Durham. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you if you want to be found? If you don't want to be found. You tell these people to piss right off and keep it to yourself. But if you would like people to be able to find you or um, tell us anything you have maybe coming up in the works, please share. They're both so polite. They don't talk. No, Dallas is going first again. Okay. Uh, Go ahead, Dallas. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess you can find me on Twitter at Dallas Amico underscore uh, basketball robot. Uh, I don't, I'm not on there that much anymore, but uh i also i probably am gonna do some podcasts because i like hanging out with people and talking about basketball uh mm-hmm. coming up but the thing i will recommend is not something i'm doing um but presidente wrote a piece about julius randall recently and it was really good and really long mm. really interesting so it's over at the strickland uh you should check that out if you have some time because it was a pretty cool uh article and so that's what i'm gonna plug this is next to godliness so anytime you have something out you should check it out uh, Alec, how about you? I I similarly have little to plug. I am I'm off to college in about a week, so I think I'm going to take a step back from writing. Nice. And 
whatever whatever I do end up doing, whatever I do end up working on, it will be advertised on my Twitter at Alec underscore Sturm. But I would be remiss if I was on a Matthew Miranda podcast and I didn't shout out a good buddy of mine by the name of Nate Applebaum. I don't know yeah, if he's Nate. listening to this, but Nate is a camper of mine from Sleepaway Camp who is a big Knicks fan. And once we got to talking, it's like, wait, do you know Matthew Miranda? And I go, I do know Matthew Miranda. So I hope Nate is listening and I hope he's doing well. And I'll see you at summer camp next summer, buddy. I love that. I love that so much. Nate, your story is almost done. I start teaching Monday, so I had to take a little break from the basketball stuff to remember that I'm a professor also. But uh, Nate had a, a really good question about uh, different ways that the Knicks could potentially look next year as far as minutes and substitutions and big picture thing. The, the Knicks are very, are very much a, more than most seasons recently, I would say, I have less of a sense of what they will be, which is nice. Um, I have I, the sense of what they could be is kind of infinite. I have no idea what this team might be. So, uh, Nate, look out for your piece. It will be out uh, next week. So that's it for the Believe Nick podcast. The Believe Nick show is presented by Bet Online. Um, I've realized re-listening to these shows that like I am terrible at just like getting off i don't know how to just end the show so i'm just gonna say thank you everyone who listened and i will talk to you again soon if you're still hearing me it's just because i'm making sure i stopped the recording and now i just thank you for listening to believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.